thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Cindy O'Meara and I'm here by myself today because I'm interviewing somebody that I met in the US in 2017. Her story is compelling. She was diagnosed at 37 with multiple sclerosis. Her prognosis was not good. Her first episode was very scary. She didn't know where to go or what to do. It wasn't until some people came into her life to give her hope. And that hope put her on the most amazing journey. This is a young mum with three children, with hopes for the future, and all were dashed until the right person came into her life at the right time. And you'll be surprised as to who was that person. So sit back. Enjoy this amazing interview. I'm very excited today because I am joined by Karen Finisset. Karen and I um, met first at um, Dr. Terry Wall's conference in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And then um, not long after that, I, I can't remember, I think that was about July or August. And then in the November, we bumped into each other at the Nourishing Traditions Conference in um, Minneapolis, um, Minnesota. So whenever I see Karen, she's always full of life, very excited about everything that she's learning. But Karen I, uh, actually had an issue um, with her health and a fairly dramatic issue with her health. And the reason she was at Terry Wall's um, seminar is that she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at a young age. So I'm actually going to um, ask Karen to uh, let us tell us where she was, where she was working, um, what she was doing, and what happened um, that made her go to the doctors. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Cindy. Um, yeah, well, it was, it was in June of 2015, and I was 37 years old. Uh, I, you know, at that point in time, I thought I was vibrant and full of life. Um, besides the fact, you know, I was tired by the end of the day because I had four kids and I had just worked a full day. Um, I just thought that was kind of the normal part of life, the normal progression. And I didn't question anything about that. Um, so I went about doing my normal work, which I work as a nurse anesthetist. So I happened to be in, um, getting ready to go into the operating room. And I just, I started to not feel very good and my vision started having a lot of problems. Um, I couldn't focus on things, um, and I just, it just generally, I did not feel very good. And so, you know, I figured I was probably getting the flu or just coming down with some crazy virus all that we're exposed to in a hospital setting, and um, didn't think much of it. Uh, so, you know, I, I went home from work that day, expecting the next day I'd probably be fine probably not feel great yet that I, I'd be getting better. Well, I, I did the same routine over the next day. And um, the problem was that I wasn't, um, I wasn't getting any better. And if anything, I was getting worse. So when I would start to see patients and I would interview them and explain the anesthesia process to them, I would catch myself realizing that I would lose my train of thought. 
and I've been doing this for 15 years. So I pretty much would say kind of the same routine things over and over. But that day, I just, nothing was coming to me. I'd be mid-sentence and forget where I was. And then I started to notice that my speech got really garbled. Um, I just couldn't speak clearly. It's like I was tongue twisted. Um, then that evening when I got home, I was, you know, I was reading stories to the girls that you just part of a bedtime routine. And I just started noticing like, the strength in my voice. Um, it was just getting weaker and weaker, so weak to the point where I couldn't even really finish a story because I just, I didn't have the strength in my voice to finish. Uh, I also started to notice during that time I was having some trouble swallowing, um, but nothing that was really concerning to me, just thinking, okay, I just need to cut up my food a little better, I guess. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, so all of those things were happening, but nothing to a degree that, like, really stopped me in my tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the days went on and I was, was hoping that I was going to get better and this just needed to work its course, I actually started to um, progressively just decline um, to the point where... Um, one day when I was trying to do um, an anesthesia procedure, I actually had to stop doing it and get somebody else's help to finish it because my vision was just so poor. I started to recognize my hand-eye coordination was not there anymore, and I started to realize that my hand strength was not there just to be able to do the normal parts of my job in addition to like my, my clarity and being able to speak clearly still hadn't returned. Um, I was, at that point, I started to develop just um, incredible pain throughout my whole body to the point where it was, it was really difficult for me to move. And so when I had gone to bed one night, I was thinking, oh man, I don't know what I have, but I am so crazy tired. I can't even, I mean, unless something miraculous happens overnight, there is no way can I go to work the next day. Um, And so I had... I arranged for taking some time off of work, which was really good because I didn't have any idea what my next several days were going to bring. Um, but the next morning when I had woke up, um, I tried to get out of bed and I, I couldn't. Um, I really could not maneuver and move well enough to get out of bed. Well, my husband had already left that morning. Um, and so I didn't have, I didn't have any way to get help and I didn't know what was going on. Um, but when I finally got myself into an upright position, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to take a step forward here. And I, my upper half moved, and I anticipated my lower half to follow along with me. That was not what happened. And so um, I, my upper half moved forward, and my lower half did not, and I hit the ground, and I fell hard. And yeah. then I kind of started hyperventilating because I didn't know what was going on, and I realized I'm in trouble, and I've got no way of getting help. My voice was so weak at that time that I couldn't yell for help to my girls um, or my boys at that moment um, for them to wake up because this had happened at probably five o'clock in the morning. And um, so there I was, I was laying on the floor, hyperventilating, crying because I, I, you know, I had imaginations of everything going through my mind, what could possibly be wrong at this moment. And, um, you know, I finally, I crawled my way out to the kitchen, um, and it was it was probably a 45-minute ordeal to crawl my way to the kitchen, and I don't have a big house, but it just took that long because it was so painful to make any little maneuver on the way out there, and I was crawling this whole way, so my upper half was getting weaker and weaker as I was getting closer. 
But when I finally got out to the kitchen, my whole goal was to get on my phone and call my husband and, and get some help. So I got out to the kitchen and I had forgotten why I had even gone out to the kitchen. It was almost as if I had forgotten that there was all of these problems, yet I realized I couldn't do anything. And about that time, he came walking in the door and he looked at me and he had known that I had not been feeling very good. Um, and he was very alerted to it. But I gave my usual response. I'm fine. I just need a little bit of sleep and I'll get over it and, and life will be good. Um, well, he saw me that morning and he knew this is not good. But of course, I, it's almost like I had forgotten what I had just gone through. And so he asked me why I was laying on the floor the way that I was. And I had to sit and think about it for a while because it didn't just come to me <laughs> when mm. it occurred. Um, but, you know, after we talked about it for a while, he said, um, Karen, it's time. I, I know you think you're going to get better, but you're going to go in and see our doctor. And so um, I did. And, you know, we talked through all the potential things that this could be. Um, I had stated my concern that it could be multiple sclerosis, and yet we both agreed that th these aren't the typical presentations of multiple sclerosis, but we, I, I would have along the way recognized some more subtleties before I hit this point where every part of my body was affected to the degree that it was. So we went through the possibilities of it could be maybe a brain tumor. It could have been maybe just some crazy virus that was affecting me and it did have to just run its course, but nonetheless, he wanted me to follow through with an MRI. Um, and so I very hesitantly um, followed through with the MRI and um, we got the results back from that. And there was multiple lesions all over my brain and my spinal cord that were consistent with multiple sclerosis. They were, um, they were, there were lesions that were present um, from prior to 30 days uh, old and then ones that had happened within the 30-day period. You know, and they determined that based off of how they did that MRI and with um, the dye, the contrast dye that they used. And so, you know, here I went from being what I thought was a perfectly healthy individual to being told that this is what I have. I've probably had it for quite, I could have had it for quite some time and it's really very serious and the extent is it's it's pretty um it's pretty widespread at this point um so it was a big shock it was a big shock to myself it was a big shock to my husband um probably one i didn't take very well um and probably one i didn't i didn't believe um so it took um well actually from that point on i got sent out to um um, an MS specialist, a multiple sclerosis, sclerosis specialty clinic in which I was seen by a neurologist. They did even further testing, which further concluded um, that that's what it was. And I was, I was told at that point um, that because of the speed of disease progression that I had had in such a short window of time, that I was likely looking at permanent neurologic disability within the next three years. So mm. I remember my husband and I sitting there hearing that news. And I, I you know, the, she, the neurologist brought my brain scans up on the computer and she was showing me all of the damage that had happened. And so I guess even though I was in a denial state, 
I couldn't really deny what was sitting before me and it looked terrible um, and I felt terrible. And so at that moment in time, it was all coming together for me. Um, I think it was also in that moment when she did, I was pretty against the use of the medications. I don't know if I really had a good argument at that time as to why not. It's just, I guess, working in healthcare and interviewing a lot of patients for anesthesia, I can see medical histories and I see the medications that people are on. And so I can follow the disease progression. And I just knew I didn't, I didn't want to be on any of that medication because I didn't want to follow that disease progression. Um, even though supposedly those medications are supposed to slow down the process. I just didn't like all of the side effects. Um, and so I, I had, I had said that I really have no intention of being on medication. And as I said that, she said, I understand how you might be feeling at this moment, but based on the locations of, um, these lesions in your brain, I'm also concerned that your reasoning is off at this point and you may be making decisions that you, in if you weren't facing this situation, you would normally not make these kinds of decisions. And at that moment in time, I just sat back in my seat and I just started sobbing hmm. because for me, that meant a couple of different things that if somebody was telling me that potentially I wasn't making a sound decision on my own healthcare treatment. That's one thing. But then I also began to realize, am I really capable of making decisions in other people's healthcare by doing their anesthesia? And it, it sort of hit me at that moment that my career now is also going to be affected by this. Um, I had already recognized the piece that my family life was going to be different, but um, I, it hadn't connected with me yet that you know, my career was going to be looking very different too because of this. So when all of that intersected each other, I think I, I hit a state of hopelessness, which um, I think for my husband and for my family to see that piece coming from somebody who normally does not have that demeanor, I think that began a really hard journey for all of us as a family. So at this point, were you able to walk? Were you... you- Walking, like, had you, was it a, like a, I, don't, I hate calling him attack. It's like a remitting. Was it, was that what was happening? And so now you're able to walk or um, were you still in? So I was, I was never in a wheelchair and I was never at a point in which I couldn't walk except for probably a two week time period. Um, but even on those, even on those mornings, mornings I will always say were the worst time for me. So when I would get up in the morning, um, it would usually start off that I couldn't walk. I mean, I, I couldn't just get out of my bed and start walking. It would usually start off as um, an incredibly slow um, movement to get myself into an upright position. And then once I got into that position, and I could, I could eventually get my legs to go, but I'd have to sit and watch them. And I could only go very small distances, and it was so slow, and it was so painful. Mm. And, I, you know, I really believe probably now the painfulness of it is probably what was hindering me from being able to to really go. But as the day would progress, you know, I would be sit, I would do stretches, thinking I just need to stretch out, and I would do stretches, and I would, you know, build up the speed and the intensity with which I did it. And then 
you know, probably over a couple weeks time period, I did get to the point where, you know, I could walk again. Um, but I, it was so slow. It was so painful. And I would, it was uncoordinated. That was probably the biggest thing. So I didn't have the confidence in me just walking because I knew if I didn't just take a, a confident step, like I could very easily lose my balance or twist wrong, and it would be so painful that that would drop me down to my knees. Which then I became concerned that you know if I fall, am I going to break a wrist? Am I going to break a hip? Or you know what other thing is going to happen from that point? But I would say after a period of a couple of weeks, um, I didn't anymore have that piece of it being so difficult to get out of bed and start walking. It, but I would say for several months. I never felt confident in walking, so I would walk very slowly, um, and I would watch my my footing just because I didn't have that confidence that if I wasn't looking at them, that I could see exactly where my feet were going, and I was afraid I would trip and fall on something. Um, so by the time I actually got to the neurologist's office, I was walking again, you know, and so I did have to go through a lot of the, you know, they were doing time testing with me just to see how fast I could do something because that's how they were going to track progression. It's one of the tools that they were going to use to track progression. So by that point, I was, I was walking. It was just very slowly um, and very unsurely. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I was um, starting to talk again normal. And again, that was probably two to three weeks after that initial insult happened. So I did, um, my speech did return more clear, but as I would tire into the day, it would start to um, just kind of really garble. Um, I, I would say for a long time I had trouble with um, cognition and just memory. Uh, that was a big thing for me. I really had a lot of trouble um, with memory, even beyond that point. Um, the swallowing and like just the loudness of my voice, the, the muscular tone of my voice, uh, that just slowly over the course of time um, came back. I wouldn't really say that it came back to normal um, by the time I was out of these appointments and going through all of this, but um, it was back to a point at which, I, you know, I guess I, it was acceptable. I was realizing I have to learn to live with this. Um, and so at that point, I'm like, well, I just have to start to see the bright side in all of these things. So I became accepting of the points at which I was at. So let's talk about the progression of the treatments um, and how you found, um, you know, different treatments than what you were being given in the medical fraternity. Let, let's talk about what did you do once you were told that you probably don't have the cognition to make the right decisions for your health, therefore you should take this drug. What happened after that? Um. Well, what happened after that is I threw my hands up in the air and I turned to my husband and I said, you're going to have to make these decisions now because I don't, I guess I'm not in the right frame of mind to do it. And he looked at me and said, this is a very scary thing because you're the one that has the knowledge on this kind of stuff. And I said, I mean, normally, but I, I, I guess I don't right now. Um, and so, you know, immediately, um, even though I did not want to take the medication, you know, with the recognition of all of that and the and knowing how my husband had felt about this whole piece and him having to make the decision, um, I guess I 
when when I left the appointment that day or when we left the appointment that day, we left with all of the materials on all of the medications. Um, before, uh, so we left the appointment that day, um, not having to make any decisions, but we had another appointment scheduled for two weeks out. And at that appointment, we were supposed to come back and kind of lay out our game plan with here's the medications and based off those medications, here's going to be our, our treatment plan as to how many times I need to do follow-up, how many times I need to come in for lab work and um, how many times I need to have MRIs and just to go through all of, just to go through all of that whole treatment piece. Well, in that two-week period in time, I guess we had a lot of, we had a lot of people who um, contacted us and just in, you know, they, they came to us with the best intentions, and I, they loved us. And so what they wanted to present before us was, you know, is there a possibility that diet and lifestyle could be causing any of this? And they didn't approach us because they felt like we were negligent with um, diet and with lifestyle. They just simply approached us just because they loved us and they had heard about this stuff. And some of them had actually experienced um, just ill things in their own families, like infertility, um, different neurologic diseases, different cancers, and they had gone different approaches and had seen different results. And that's why they came to us mm. um, with it. Well, you know, I, I didn't, um, I will just be upfront. I did not take that well. <laughs> mm. Because somehow in them bringing that to me, what I heard and it's not what they said, but it's what my line took with it was I was being negligent and thus I'm in this position. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had all of these resources that they had given to me. The funny thing is, is I couldn't do anything with them because I didn't have normal cognition. When I went to open a book, I could read a page in two hours time and have no idea what I just read. And normally I could whip through chapters upon chapters and research like crazy and make all different kinds of connections. And here I just sat at this point in which nothing is making sense. Nothing is connecting to me yet. And I'm exhausted trying to do all of it. And so, and this is like foreign material to my husband. And so, um, Mm. so we come to the next appointment and we had, you know, we had had that list of medications and we were supposed to make a decision on which one, kind of which one would be the, the, the most efficacious with the least amount of side effects will allow me to potentially do my job and be a wife and a mother. <laughs> and so we came up with one and, um, you know, it really, it only had a 30% efficacy rate, but the side effects were less. Um, and so, you know, we, we laid it out for her and we decided, okay, this is going to be the one. And so she went through the treatment plan because of it. And she talked about all of the issues we're probably going to have with insurance. Um, because this is, um, it wasn't one of the main drugs that was being used. Um, and because it wasn't the most efficacious. <laughs> so uh, he went through all of that stuff with us. Um, I guess there was something deep inside of us that was saying, we're, still not, we're not making the right decisions, but I, at this point in time, I don't know what to do different. And at the end of that um, conversation with her, my husband said, I just have a question for you. Is it possible that diet and lifestyle could be causing some of this? And she said, diet and lifestyle had nothing to do with this disease process. 
and it is not going to change the outcome of your of what you're going to be facing. It said it might make you feel better here and there, but it's not going to change your outcome. And so I, you know, I heard that, and I will tell you two things happened, Cindy. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of them. One of them was that I felt a little pat on my back, <laughs> saying, okay, so you didn't bring this on yourself. <laughs> so it felt like a relief lifted off of my shoulders. And yet, after that, feeling was gone. It was an insane feeling of hopelessness. Because I thought, at least if it was diet and lifestyle related, potentially I could do something different if I just knew what to do different. Um, and so we left that day, and I would say we left with a hopeless feeling, like for the rest of my life, how I feel right now, this could possibly be the best. And I felt really crummy. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, if this is the best I'm ever going to feel, this is, this is terrible. This is not how I expected to live it. I don't believe this is how I was meant to live it. There's got to be something more. Um, and so, oh, I, you know... I had lots of friends from our church that just surrounded us at that point in time, and they did everything for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And some of those things we couldn't even identify that we couldn't do for ourselves. But at that time, um, a very trusted friend had just asked, they said, you know, you guys, you guys are faithful followers of the Bible. Have you ever done what the Bible says to do when, when you get sick? And, and I knew it was in James 5. I, I knew what it said, um, but I didn't want to do it. And I actually believed that it was something from historic time back in Jesus' time. And I thought, yep, that's how they did things back then. But in our time period for today, we have doctors that do that, you know, that can step in in those um, areas. And if they're telling me that there is no cure for this disease and that here's what my prognosis is, then that must be what it is. Because if there was a different way, I firmly believe they would have laid it out for me. And because they could not lay out anything that was going to change the outcome of this, I, I really believe that there was no healing from this. Um, anyway, like, so what we, we did with that piece of, huh? It's like they gave you no hope. That's what they did. You know, when you were, were saying, yeah, when you were saying about the the diet and lifestyle and, and, and you thought that you had bought it on yourself, my thoughts were, oh my gosh, I have the ability to change. But obviously, you know, cognition and everything that was happening to you, that was just not a thought. But it was almost like the doctor saying diet and lifestyle has nothing to do with your disease, which I hear all the time, that it then turned your thoughts around um, maybe just a slight bit in saying, well, now there is no hope, you know, and at least when diet and lifestyle may have been hope, you had like you had hope. So um, right. yeah, keep going. This is just so fascinating, Karen. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, like I said, we we did exactly um, what Scripture in John um, five fourteen says to do, and that was to go before the elders of the church and have them pray over you for healing and anoint you with oil. So we did that, and. Um, I didn't have a great belief that it was going to do much. Um, I, like I said, I had firmly believed what the, what the doctors had told me. And, you know, I just thought, well, here it goes. 
<laughs> what I was hoping is that I just simply wouldn't get worse. You know, by, by taking that step in faith, I guess I was just hoping maybe I just really wouldn't progress worse from this position. I never believed that I could heal from it. I never believed what was about to come down the road for me could actually mm. happen. Um, you know, I, I work in the medical field. And so what they told me is, is what I felt. And I, you know, although I knew there was many different forms of medicine around the country and, you know, around the world, I didn't have experience with it. I didn't have any experience with different forms of healing. And I hadn't heard of people that had. And so, um, well, I had this big stack of books that my friends had given me, um, and one of them was written by uh, Dr. Perlmutter. It was called The Grain Brain. And, you know, as I'm looking through this big stack of books, I'm trying to decide, well, if I was going to start somewhere, which book would I pick up? Like, I, I'm reading so slow and uh, processing so slow, it's going to take me 10 years to ever get through what I've got so I, you know, I looked at the books and I saw the picture of this brain that was half eaten out, and that's the one called the Green Brain by Dr. Perlmutter. Yeah. And I, you know, realistically, I didn't have any great way of picking why I picked a book. It just simply, I thought that probably looks like my brain right now. So that's a good place to start. <laughs> so I picked it up, and in that book, there had been a bookmark. Um, right on the pages that he says to do, like if you're facing any sort of neurologic disabilities at this point or neurologic disease right now, he, he pretty much in a certain section of the book walks through, if you find yourself in this, in this category of how you eat and how you purchase food, this potentially can be detrimental to you and can be causing what you're facing. So as I'm reading it, I felt like he was writing it just for me because it, it was everything that was on there. I mean, I was raised in North Dakota. We had a, a small grain farm. We consumed all of our own our own products and things like that. And I just started, as I was reading it, I'm like, well, this is my life, what you're describing here. And what you're telling me is perhaps if I start changing those aspects, I'm, maybe I'll have a different outcome. And then I was thinking, well, I certainly hope in the next few pages you lay out for me how to change that. <laughs> and so as I flipped through the next pages, it did. It started to talk about, you know, go through your cabinets, get rid of anything that's processed, that's packaged, that's low fat. Um, try creating what you think is one of your best meals, but leave all of those items out that it took to prepare it and start calculating out how much sugar, how much carbohydrate is in all of that. Well, once you have those totals, compare it to um, what I've printed in here and see how you compare. Because if you're falling way above those, there's hope for you. You can make these changes and potentially you can reverse what's going on. And while, as I got done reading it, I thought it was crazy, I handed it over to my husband. Because like I said, I wasn't processing things quickly. And I thought, I don't even know if I'm reading this right. And maybe I'm just losing my mind. So I give it to him and he starts looking through it. He realizes, I mean, we're living exactly what this man is talking about and so potentially make these changes. Well, I can't really, I didn't, you know, I was still extremely exhausted at this point. So Robert pretty much took over all of the cooking responsibilities at that point. And he started cooking the way that he was saying. And so at that point, we did, we cleaned out everything in our cabinets, we cleaned out everything in our fridge. And the only, so then I stood in my kitchen 
in my fridge thinking, well, now I have to make something and I don't hardly have anything left. And what I have left to do stuff with, I don't know how to prepare an entire meal with that. Oh. <laughs> and now I've got four kids that are hungry and are starving and I'm thinking, what am I just done? <laughs> um, so, you know, it was funny. These these two ladies, and, and Cindy, you've met them before. It was the ladies that wrote that Eating Pure in a Processed Food World cookbook. Um, yeah, back in Minnesota, I think. Yes, yes, the two Maybe. girls that were beside me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they came over to our house and they started, I mean, I told them what I just did. <laughs> and, and they're like, well, that's great. Now let's go and let's restock with everything that you're going to need to be able to do this. So they did, they, they helped me clean everything. I mean, they went through everything in my kitchen with me, um, cleared out anything that was not pure, real, whole food. And then we went to the food co-ops, we went to the farmer's market, we went, and, and we got all of the stuff that was going to be necessary. And then day after day, they just started working with me and started teaching us how to do that. Well, you know, two weeks later, the craziest thing happened. You know, I, I was still not functioning well up to there. I had this headache from the day that this whole event happened. Um, up until this time period, I had had this headache that was not responsive to Tylenol or ibuprofen, um, nothing. Nothing would touch this headache. And I think I just started to um, accept that this is how, how I was going to feel. And so all of a sudden, one day, I woke up, and this, was, this would have been about two weeks into changing the way that we ate. For, for breakfast, lunch, and supper. <laughs> um, I woke up one morning and I was touching my head because I was thinking, oh, my head feels so weird today. And all I, all I could think is, what's going wrong next? <laughs> and as I was touching my head some more, I started to realize I have feeling again on my head. My, my head had felt like there was pins and needles for the last three months. And all of a sudden, I started having feeling again on my scalp, and I could feel my head. And as the day progressed, I started to realize I don't have that typical headache that I have had for the last three months. And then following that, I started, you know, I picked up that book again, and I started reading through the pages, and I started recognizing I, I'm reading faster than what <laughs> I was before. And so, you know, I'm thinking okay, this is kind of weird, but maybe this was the of part of the disease and I'm just, you know, finally starting to get better. So a few more days go by and I start realizing that the uncoordinated hand movements that I'm having are starting to go away and I'm starting to get some hand strength back. So Cindy, what's really funny is I had, I had um, ceramic dishes um, during this, you know, for the last 15 years, I'd had these ceramic dishes and I loved them because they were just the coolest things ever. Um, but during this whole period in time, because I had not had great depth perception and I didn't have my normal strength, I couldn't tell how hard I was sitting something down on the counter and I had granite countertops. I broke every one of those dishes in that time period. (laughs) You know, the good news about that is I got a new set of dishes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. um, You got to look at the good side. Right. Um, <laughs> right. There's the positive side of me. I'm looking for the good side. I got a new set of dishes out of this whole deal. But yeah, so it's really crazy. After two weeks period in time, all of a sudden I'm recognizing 
my movement, all of my movement, my coordination, it's starting to come back. And now I'm starting to get, I'm starting to gain confidence again. So I did actually go back to work. Um, and I had worked out an arrangement with them where I, I didn't want to actually go in and start doing patient care. Um, so I actually just started, um, reviewing patients' charts, and I would do, um, I do all of the paperwork associated with what we needed to take care of. And then um, I said, you know, when I, when I start to feel a little bit more confident, if that happens, um, I'll let you know and we can start uh, working into that. And so, you know, little by little, I started working back into my normal roles, which I did not ever anticipate would happen. And over the course of time, now it didn't happen immediately, but I, you know, this was many months down the road. I started to recognize I'm doing the job that I used to do, and I thought I used to do a, a pretty darn good job, but I'm starting to do that job even better than I ever did before this had happened to me, um, which was kind of a crazy thing because like, I didn't really, I didn't really feel like I, like I was ever not doing it to the best of my ability. But I just began to realize that when we changed those, you know, diet and lifestyle pieces so much of my life started coming back in order and, and better than I had ever known it to be. Like I kind of skipped forward there a little bit, but jumping back to after I had, um, after we had spent those couple of weeks um, doing what that green brain uh, book had said, shortly thereafter, I was handed another book and I was told to go online to a TEDx by Dr. Terry Wall. Uh, yes. Prior to this time, I had yes. Prior to this time, I had, I'd never heard of her. I didn't know anything about this. Um, so I go online. I watch this TEDx talk, and then I go to get her book. And I start reading through the book, and I'm thinking, okay, well, Dr. Perlmutter got me on this, you know, this one section here. But I felt as though if I took what she was saying, I could really take this to a whole nother level and potentially like even greater things could happen. So at the time when I um, started, so I read through that book, you know, and then I was kind of confused on, on all the different levels. And I thought, oh, man, this is crazy. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to start with level one. I, I can start somewhere. I'm going to start with level one, at least because I could really understand that. <laughs> yeah. And so I we started doing that as a family. And it, so her level one is based off of the, the three categories of vegetables, getting three cups in all of those categories because they all synergistically work together. And you can heal the digestive system with all of that if they're synergistically working together. Um, and anyway, and you're just you're feeding all of the cells everything that's necessary if you can bring all of those categories together in that kind of a volume. So I did that. I mean, our whole family started doing this. And then it hit me one day. I have to do this for the rest of my life potentially. And I, I don't like this food well enough <laughs> to do this, but I was, I kind of found myself in a catch 22 recognizing, wait, this is, this is helping me. And then realizing, but this doesn't seem life sustainable for me. Like this seems something you know, to me, it seemed like this was a diet and yeah, I can probably do this for a little while, but there's no way can I make this sustainable life situation for us because I'm tired of salads and I'm only, you know, two weeks into this <laughs> and because it's all, it's truly, it's all I really knew to do with most of those vegetables was to make a salad with them or to steam them um, or to, you know, uh, grill them. But 
after a, a while of doing that, I thought, okay, I'm really tired of these things. I've got to change up this palette some, yet I didn't know what more to do with it. And so that's when um, Joyce and Clean at, at this, um, that had created this cookbook, that's when they really stepped in and started teaching us about, you know, how to take different vegetables, how to make soups with them so that I am getting all of those nutrients in, but I'm not feeling like I'm eating the same thing over and over and over. Um, and then, you know, from that point, Cindy, um, I felt like my life, I, I felt like I almost had an out-of-body experience because after employing um, her principles for a couple of weeks into my life, um, I, uh, crazy things started happening to me. And, you know, like I said, I was 37 when this happened. So I was coming up on that age 40 to which eyesight starts to go and we start to think we need reading glasses and stuff like that. And nothing is abnormal about when you hit that age period because, you know, this is, this is kind of what a lot of people face. Um, and my eyesight was deteriorating. And so I figured I would be also needing my reading glasses pretty soon. But all of a sudden my vision started to completely correct and improve. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple of suspicious skin spots that um, I, every time I went in for my yearly physical, I just always had them check it. <laughs> and they were always like, it's, it's fine, but you definitely we have to keep an eye on it. And because I, I was a faithful person of being in the sun. We had a pool in our backyard and I was outside all the time. Um, and I never wore sunscreen. And so, um, you know, I knew okay, I need to pay a little bit more attention to this. Well, and it was on my back, so I necessarily, I would need a mirror to see it. Um, and so I was standing in the mirror one day, you know, looking at the, my back, and I really couldn't find it. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe my eyesight is starting to fail me. Um, so I had my husband take a piece back there, and he said, no, Karen, it's, it's not visible anymore. And then I just, I started processing that. And, you know, I go out in public, or I go to work, and people would make comments to me that, Karen, you you have a glow on your face mm-hmm. and it looks like you're it looks like you're getting years and years younger and I was thinking to myself this, seems, this is crazy I don't know can this really do this um and so yeah just all of these really crazy things now one thing about Minnesota is it's the land of 10,000 lakes and so there's lots of allergens there's lots of um Lots of pollens in the air, and over the course of the years, I just noticed when it came to the springtime and the fall, I was starting to develop to develop more and more seasonal allergies, for which I had never held a problem with these things in the past. But all of a sudden, using the season, I started to notice this. And so, you know, I had been, um, it, this was about fall time now, and I just was anticipating that I was going to... Um, just start with the allergies and you know i'd come across people and they'd be saying oh my goodness my allergies are so bad right now there just must be terrible stuff in the air and i was thinking god this is crazy that it hasn't affected me yet and the entire season went went by and i was not affected with it and so every season every changeover in spring and fall season since that point in time i have not even i've not even noticed (laughs) so i no longer have trouble with seasonal allergies which is just crazy um you know it's when i it's not so like i know it's not so crazy because i've been doing this for 40 years 
But you know what? Um, I had tears in my eyes, um, as you said, about these two beautiful women that came into your home and cleaned out your cupboards. And even though you were getting the knowledge from Terry Walls and Dr. Perlmutter, these two women came into your home, cleaned out your cupboards and taught you to cook again. And one of the things that, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing this interview for is, is, is to te- teach my students at the Functional Nutrition Academy that this is the most important role you will play, is that mm-hmm. helping that person, like doctors don't have that time, you know, Terry wouldn't have that time and neither would Dave Perlmutter and neither do any of the doctors. And, and then there's the doctors that are completely ignorant about what nutrition is capable of doing, as your um, doctor said. So to me, this is the most powerful thing that we can do to someone is to go into their home and assess their pantry and their fridge and then teach them to cook again. So I just, I wanted to make sure that everybody understood this, that, and and you introduced me to these two beautiful women, um, you know, when we're in Minnesota um, and I didn't realize the extent of what they did for you, but now I do. So it's, it's wonderful to hear. I, I love, I love yeah. hearing. So sorry, I interrupted you because I felt that it was really no. important yeah. that we, we just, just made that, that point very clear that that was your savior. Those women coming Please. in and they're not doctors. They just know how they know real food. And, um, and that to me, I, I just love, it's like a miracle happened, but really it's not. It's, it's exactly what should happen when we clean our food up. Can I just ask Great. you what you were eating um, before those women came into your cupboard? Just give us a um, breakfast, a quick breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What was it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I think when I share my story, a lot of times people get the idea, well, she must have been a junk foodie or she, they must have gone out to eat a lot or boy, they must have just ate just junk, junk, junk. Yeah. And I did not grow up um, in a home that um, we went out to eat a lot or that there was junk food in the home. I mean, it was, it was not like that. Um, I grew up in a home where it was a primary importance to eat at home and to prepare homemade meals. And I don't know, somehow between my years of growing up <laughs> and me um, becoming a wife and a mother myself, the idea of homemade cooking turned into something completely different. So I would have said prior to this happening that I make all of my food from scratch. And what I meant by that was I go to the grocery store and I definitely shop the outer aisles where I got my produce from. Um, and then I hit the inner aisles so that when I actually went to make a meal, like let's say I was going to make a casserole, there would have been a few fresh um, vegetables in that. But then I would have used all kinds of processed foods, um, you know, soups, like a cream of condensed soup of some sort to be able to make that. Um, if I was going to add a tomato base, something to it, it would have come in the form of cans of, um, you know, preserved stewed tomatoes or something. Hmm. That's the kind of stuff that I made. So I, in my mind, I was still cooking from scratch, thinking I was putting um, a meal together of all of my items from at home, yet three quarters of those items were not fresh. They were all processed. 
Um, that's how we ate. So my breakfast would have consisted of, um, I, you know, I normally I'm in the operating room incredibly early in the morning. So, and I didn't really have this strong desire to eat a great breakfast at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so no. I would maybe have, I'd have an apple and some peanut butter and maybe a cup of coffee hmm. or a cup of tea. So, I, you know, this is kind of funny because in the process of having to learn how to cook and prepare foods, like I said, those ladies, they spent a majority of the time with me, but I was actually under um, the direction of a clinic at this point. Um, I, I ended up get, making an appointment out at the Ultra Wellness Center in Lenox, Massachusetts, which is... Um, uh, Dr. Mark Hyman's oh, yes. uh, clinic out there. Yes. Yeah. And so I was actually under the direction of their clinic out there under Dr. Lapine and working with um, one of, with Lisa, who was their nutritionist and was helping me. So, what, you know, what would happen is I would have to write down what I was eating and then as a food log and then I would have to submit it to her. She would look at it. She would kind of critique it. She would tell me, okay, Karen, here's how you need to tweak this a little bit. And so, and she was able to very quickly identify, here's going to be some problematic areas yet for you. You know, and those were the areas where it's one thing when somebody tells you that, it's a whole other thing to figure out how you're going to correct that. And that's, you know, again, what you said, those ladies that helped me, you know, the, those, the doctor served a very important role at that point. Lisa, the nutritionist, served a very important role at that point. But those ladies are the ones who ultimately came and made it happen because I was clueless. <laughs> hmm. um, but so Lisa would get my food logs and she would do little interpretations on them and send them back to me. And so, you know, I thought uh, when I sent my first food log in for the week, I thought, oh, I'm going to get graded on this. I'm going to have an A+. Plus. <laughs> it's not going to be anything that they can find wrong with it. <laughs> and so... When I got it back, I was very unpleasantly surprised. <laughs> um, so, you know, the apple, she wanted specifications on the size of the apple and the kind of apple that it was. And, um, you know, we, <laughs> my favorite apples were Honeycrisp and Sweet Sixteen, only to find out after I submitted that food log that um, those are some of the apples with the highest sugar content. And I really needed to get redisciplined on the kind of apples that I was going to eat. And so the, uh, the next thing was the peanut butter. And, you know, I had to write down the kind of peanut butter it was and all that. And I think at that time it was probably just, I don't, I don't remember. Just, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and I was so proud that I had brought, bought a, a well-known brand. And I, you know, I thought that was the answer to all things. And, um, only come to find out that was very problematic with all the sugar that gets added and all the preservatives and all of the additives. So then, you know, I had to learn how if I was going to have that um, for a snack or a breakfast, I needed to learn. Um, I needed to learn the kind of apples to have, and then how to train my taste buds to get to um, me actually learning how to make my own almond butter or peanut butter and stuff like that, which. Um, you know, so when I got those food logs back on that, I started to recognize, or I still have a whole lot of learning to do. <laughs> um, so my typical lunch, my typical lunch, so I'll give you a lowdown on that. Um, 
I work at a surgical center and it's very fast paced. And so we have our food catered in there so that that we can kind of just keep the day going and the pace moving. Uh, If everybody brought their own lunch, first of all, we wouldn't even have enough places for people to store it and then heat it up and get it all prepared nor enough time for any of that. So I thought, so anyway, I thought it was the greatest thing ever that um, our facility caters in all of this lunch and we could eat lunch there. And I, I felt like I was a very disciplined person of everything that was there for offerings. I always felt like I chose the healthiest options. And for the most part, I think pretty much everybody there would have also identified with that because they'd always make comments to me like, I don't know how you can pass up some of this. <laughs> and I'd always be thinking I was always weight conscious. So um, I'm like, well, you know, I, I would like to, but I know what I would look like in three months if I did choose all of that. But so anyway, I had to submit a food log on my, on my lunch time. And at that time, at that particular day, Panera was catering. And I don't know if you guys have Panera's in Australia. Are you familiar with them? Um, sorry, you were just a bit muffled then. What did you say? Oh, uh, we have um, Panera's here in the United States. Panera Bread. I'm not sure if you guys no. are familiar with. No, I don't know that Okay, one. So, so basically what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a different styles of bread. And they have all different kind of, kinds of meals made with them. So that particular day, they had Panera bread being served. And so I had a sandwich, and it was called the vegetarian sandwich. And so it had all of these different veggies on there with some dressing of some sort and then this big, thick bread. And so, you know, to submit my food log, I had to, um, I had to know certain things about what it was that I was eating. So in order to, for me to submit that food log, all right, I had to go on Panera's website and I had to record all of the carbohydrates and all of that stuff. And so by the time I got done with that, I realized I may have thought that I chose the best sandwich on there, but even the best offering (laughs) that there was still put me so far over um, what they wanted me to be within ranges of for sugar content, for carbohydrates, for all of that Mm. stuff. Yeah. In one day, in one day when I submitted my food log to her, she, um, I had realized that by lunchtime I had been like three times over what they had wanted me for the limits on carbohydrates for that day. Mm. And, <laughs> and then, I mean, I think that's when it, I think that's at a point in which it really did hit me. Like we, I have, I have some drastic changes to make and I have, um, I'm going to be on a, on a steep learning curve for a while, you know, and like you said, you know, one of the greatest things that, you know, as a dietitian or a nutritionist that a person is going to be able to do is come into somebody's home and help them through that piece. Because even though I had it in a book, it, it wasn't always an easy thing to figure out. And there was a lot of times you'd get down on yourself and realize you're out of something and now you're ready to prepare a meal and all of a sudden you tap the chalk that off the list because you're missing half of what you would have needed and it would have taken 24 hours to prepare that ahead of time to do it. And so, you know, I, these ladies, they did, they worked with me teaching me how to do that kind of stuff, you know, how to prepare in advance the things that you know you're always probably going to need in recipes so that I wouldn't ever have to rely on any processed food items. Um, and so, 
they did. They, they, everybody was just instrumental. And like I said, you know, the, the doctors, they played a very important role. Um, Lisa, the nutritionist, she served a very important role. But I will say that the community for which I surrounded myself in is who ultimately served one of the greatest roles in helping me um, get back to health. Because there were so many things that I just didn't know how to do to help myself that somebody else did. And they stepped in. And not always did I embrace their help. I mean, not always did I embrace them, period. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, I I think that that's a normal human response is that we don't want to embrace certain things and we might not deal with it well. But in my particular situation, they almost had to override my thoughts sometimes and just step in and do it because I, you know, I didn't know what I needed. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, the way you were cooking, um, you know, all of those things that were prepared for you in a bottle or a can, you then had to, you know, redo. And, and that's what we're finding. Now, Karen, we don't have a lot of time left, but I, I, I want to talk about what we talked about in Minnesota when after you'd done the diet and everything was going, um, you were then taken to another level uh, with Dr. Mark Hyman. Could you talk yep. about that level you had to go to? Because, and, and I'm, I'm doing this because a lot of people just look at food and then they don't go to that next level. So let's talk about what you had to do and what it was like. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely, Cindy. So, you know, while I was out at the clinic, Mark Hyman was not my physician, Dr. Lapine was, but it was at, at, was at that clinic. Yeah. Um, so I, basically their whole team of physicians were kind of taking a look at my whole case here and seeing like, wow, she just had a really, really powerful response to food. Um, I, I mean, they, they did. They were kind of blown away at how fast and how rapidly there was a big turnaround in me and how quickly I gained function back. But there was a couple things to be contributory to that. Number one, I was seemingly healthy up until that point. I was on no medication. So, you know, my liver was, while it was probably sluggish from the foods that I was eating, it wasn't sluggish and not working great. I mean, it was working the best that it could possibly have been working given the situation. But I didn't have medications that were taxing any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, in part, yes, it was kind of surprising that I had such a quick and rapid response. And yet, in part, it's not that surprising considering I was, a seemingly healthy person um, prior to that. Um, but I will say this. So, you know, when they, when they talked to me about getting rid of all of this processed food, I mean, it was, they pretty much laid it out there like this. If you want to heal and you want to, um, if, if you want to repair the damage that has happened and you want to heal and you don't want to be medically managed, You've got to take this seriously. And this doesn't just come from the food aspect. This comes from your environment. And this, this is going to come to play with what I put on myself um, for body care products, what I use for cleaning products, um, all of that kind of stuff, what I use for hair care products. And, you know, while they said that to me, I was thinking to myself, I do use all the best products out there. <laughs> you know, the, the anti-aging products. I was thinking, you know, I purchased quality stuff. Dang it, I've paid a lot of money for this stuff, too. And so I thought, well, this is they were going to take, I had to submit all of it, what I was using to them. And I thought, well, this is going to be an area. They might've gotten me on the food. They're not going to be able to get me on this. And sure enough, (laughs) 
um, you know, the products I was using. And, you know, I will talk about them I, you know, um, because I think that there's a lot of products out there that marketing makes it very deceivable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I used Aveda products. And, you know, it's marketed as the, the, the plant sciences. And so in my mind, that was, that was the best option that you could have. It, it had the word plant on it. <laughs> and it had the word science together. So to me, that was like a win-win. It had to be the best. Um, but then, you know, what they had me do is they had me go through every ingredient. Um, they actually had me do this in packaged foods, too. They had me go through every ingredient. And I had to do just a little bit of research on all those ingredients and figure out what they would have been used for. And I think that was more of an exercise to solidify for me. There is a consequence to that kind of stuff. You know, we can't just assume that we're going to take it in and, and it's going to come back out. Like There's going to be a consequence on the body for it having to do something with that. And so I had to do that same thing with skin and body care products. And then, you know, once I did that, then they started working me through, okay, Karen, if you want to take this to another level, we need to start, um, we need to start getting rid of these, the skin and body care products. By this point, when they started working with me on this, I had already had the food piece down. Like that was already a lifestyle change that we had had made, we had already started noticing just all of the benefits that our body was experiencing. Um, so to, to now take it to the next level, I could do it, but I didn't understand what was going to come with it. So, um, you know, the first thing I had to do is I had to stop using any skincare products, any hair care products that I was, that I had been using. And they wanted me to, um, limit the number of showers that I was taking every week, the temperature of those showers. And, um, and, and then I, I was only supposed to wash my hair once a week. And really I was only supposed to shower if I was dirty, like I was truly dirty. And if I, if I was truly dirty, then yes, I would probably need soap. But if, if I wasn't needing soap to leave it off of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the next thing was once I got out of the shower, to not put anything on myself either and not put anything on my hair. And I thought, oh, this is, this is going to be crazy. This is Minnesota humidity. My hair is going to be a frizzy mess. <laughs> and it was for a while. I thought, I'm going to feel so crazy, Dungy. And, and they said, yes, you will. And it might be a great time to invest in a nice baseball cap. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I truly did that. And for, for two weeks, um, this was my routine. So, you know, I showered at best twice a week. Um, I, the, the temperature of my water was actually pretty cool. Uh, I washed my hair once a week. And the thing is, is when you don't have a bunch of stuff going on in your hair, then you begin to realize there's, there's really not a whole lot of reason to be washing it <laughs> because I'm not having to wash all the products out. So, you know, after, after getting out of the shower, I'd feel my face and it just would feel like it was going to crack. I mean, I just felt like I put a clay mask on it. And like it was going to crack. <laughs> um, and so I, I lived with that for a little while. And I got to this point where I'm like, I can't deal with this anymore. So I called him up. And it was like near the end of a two-week time period. And I said, you know, I can hardly handle this anymore. And they said to me, Lisa said to me, she was Karen, you are doing so well. You just have to give it a little bit more time because your body is starting to adjust. To the foods that you are eating and the fact that, that, it's, that those body products are not hindering your body's own natural oil production. And you will start to have a response. Just give it a little bit more time. 
So I hung up the phone. I was mad as mad to be. <laughs> I wanted to hear something different. Um, but, you know, a, little, a few more days went on, and I got out of the shower that day, and, um, and I was starting to get ready. And I was putting my clothes on, and I began to realize I felt my face. And my face did not feel like it was going to crack that day. Mm-hmm. And I just started to realize I'm starting to, it's starting to feel a little bit different. And then I went to, you know, style my hair that day. And of course I can't put any products in it. And um, I just started to realize my hair was completely relaxing. There was no frizz in it. And I am sitting in a hundred percent humidity in Minnesota. <laughs> and yet my hair was not, it was not frizzy like that. And then, um, oh, well, you know, as I would go out in public or go to work, like I said, people would, at that point, people really started to just notice things with my complexion. And like, I didn't have, I mean, I didn't believe I had a poor complexion before. And I don't think people thought that either, but it was just like, Cindy, my, my face came to life. It was just like this. I mean, I actually, when people would start to say that to me, I would actually take the time to look at myself in the mirror a little bit more thoroughly. And then I would start to recognize myself. It's like I almost had an out-of-body experience because I couldn't recognize my own body as I would look in the mirror and think, my skin is looking amazing. And, I'm, and I have just pulled off all of the skincare products and the hair care products that were supposed to be anti-aging <laughs> and anti-skin. I am not using any of them anymore and simply using food to do all of this. And, and this is the result. And all of those products historically in the past we're supposed to be doing that but hadn't been doing that <laughs> um you know so it was, it was crazy to see all of that kind of stuff happen as I was living it now I look back and I realize well this is how it's supposed to be <laughs> but you know an added bonus that came from all of that was you know yes I, I we did spend more on on getting this kind of food to get you know true real whole food to get local grown food it did cost us more than what we were spending. But on the flip side, we've saved a whole pile of money because now none of my family uses any of those body and hair care products. It's just simply you shower when you need to shower. And if you're dirty, you'll use soap. And, you know, once a week you might wash your hair, but it's with a, it's with a simplified bar of soap that just says shampoo and it's got three ingredients in it. And they all come from animals yeah. <laughs> or, or oil, you know. Yeah. And so... We saved, I mean, I can't tell you how much money was saved just in that piece of alone and not having to buy a regimen of, of makeup and skincare products and hair care products, you know, and I've got two girls and two boys and my husband. And so that was a huge cost saving. You know, then we were able to start seeing, you know, it, it definitely pays up front. You've got to pay more maybe for food, but in the long run, you're not, you're not throwing out all this money on all of these products and on healthcare pieces into the future and stuff like that. So, you know, it's so funny because I, when I reflect back on that time, I think to myself, I mean, it felt like the most horrible, destructive time period in my life. And yet I've never been so grateful for it because it completely turned my whole life around. It turned my entire family's life around. You know, I've had the opportunity to share my story with lots of people. And, and because I am in the healthcare field, I, I have the opportunity to share it with lots of, you know, Western medicine providers. And it's kind of a mind-blowing story for, um, 
for Western medicine providers to hear and to see, you know, here is a living person that walked through this, was told, here's what her prognosis is going to be, here's what her treatment regimen is going to have to look like in hopes that she doesn't continue to get worse, um, and yet she does something completely different and has a better outcome than what she would have ever anticipated. Yeah, it is. I want to know, did you go back to that doctor that said to you that diet and lifestyle would make no difference? And did you get her to, you know, check your brain and spine again and see what the lesions were doing? Did you end up doing that? Um, Yes, I did. Actually, I did that for um, the Ultra Wellness Center. They wanted to do a um, follow-up one, let's see, one year after I had been a patient at that clinic, they wanted to do a follow-up. Uh, they really wanted to do the follow-up, though, with the anticipation there, there is a possibility that some of those lesions could actually heal and repair. And so because of them, that I actually did that. Um, but I did it at that same neurology clinic that I was originally seen at. So um, when I called to set that up um, with the receptionist, she was asking if I wanted to make an appointment there, and I said no, and I just explained, you know, I chose to go a little different route, and um, it's, been, it's been very beneficial for us. And the receptionist said to me, oh, I suppose you found a cure. And, the cheer. And I, you know, it was a very sarcastic comment made. Um, mm. You know, and, and I said, you know, I don't know if I have found the cure, but I know I found something that has just changed my life and my family's life. I would be happy to sit down and visit with you about it and sit down and visit with the neurologist about it. And there just wasn't a, there wasn't a reciprocative um, conversation that happened. So um, mm. my, the MRIs, they got sent back out to Massachusetts. The, there wasn't any changes on it. Um, so at that point, which would have been one year out after making lifestyle changes, there wasn't any um, healing changes, but there was no changes, period. So, it, it, you know, there, was, there wasn't any progression. There just wasn't. But, you know, as I visited with them on that, and, you know, they said, we have no idea how old some of those lesions are. Those could have been years upon years upon years old. Mm-hmm. And that just simply is going to take time. I haven't had another follow-up MRI, mainly because they're extremely expensive, <laughs> mm. and there hasn't been there hasn't been a need to. Um, so, yeah, it's it was kind of a kind mm. of a crazy um, life period in time. But I now I realize it was a privilege to get to go through that and to to walk through that and to learn and to grow through that. And I think throughout that whole process, I also realized how much people care and how much people love me and were willing to sacrifice and pour out their time to help me. You know, I, I don't think I, I don't think that prior to that happening, I felt like that was a, a piece that was an issue, but there definitely is a sense of community that comes when you go through something like that and you see how people step up to the plate and do whatever they can to help you out. And you just realize, you begin to realize, I guess I began to realize like my my healing process, it was done through community, and you know, granted, I got I received gift of being able to heal, but it was through, you know, the knowledge and the help of so many different people that were just willing to sacrifice so much for me, and and a time in which I wasn't necessarily always willing <laughs> to 
um, accept some of that help. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it is a community and it's a, compu- a community of health professionals. Like, you know, you went to the Mark Hyman Clinic and you had doctors and nutritionists and then at home you had your church elders as well as your these two beautiful women that came into your house. And then, and then you had, you know, this, the, the people that you worked with that actually watched. Um, and, you know, these were, were doctors that were doing surgeries and they, they, you know, they actually watched your recovery. So, uh, look, I feel so um, privileged that I met you and, um, and had the opportunity to interview you, Karen. It's... Um, I love your story and I know that my students as well as the Up For A Chat, because we'll put this on our Up For A Chat podcast as well, um, will absolutely enjoy what you've been speaking about, what you did, how you did it and knowing that you had to go that step further, not just with food but with your whole environment. Um, And I know now that you've also moved out of Minnesota and you've gone to Colorado. (laughs) How's that going? (laughs) Yeah, so... It's going wonderful. You want, you know, Cindy, it was so funny. It was always our dream to live in the Rocky Mountains in southern um, Colorado. It, it was like always our family dream to do this. And when I got that diagnosis, I remember thinking like those dreams have just come to a halt. There's no purpose. I, I mean, I just felt like I'm not going to go out to the Rocky Mountains now if I can't even walk and go do the things I would have wanted to do in them. And, and I, it became, it's like my dream kind of got crushed in that piece. And so as I came back to life in that whole process, um, I, you know, I think my whole family kind of came back to life in that piece. And we just made that decision. Like, this is, we've just been given a second chance at life. We're going to go live. We are going to go do, rather than just be okay with the status quo. Living in Minnesota was awesome. And our adventures there that we had, they were, they were wonderful. And we made wonderful friends there. It was a wonderful home. But we still have that adventurous adventurous spirit that we wanted to come out and experience this and do all of this. And I think, you know, partly going through what we did, it did it. It made us realize now we we need to value life and we need to be able to just take advantage of the surroundings and go and do those things, you know, not to be hindered and thinking, well, I've got tomorrow because you never know if you have tomorrow. Um, yeah, <laughs> and so I think even in our time of having moved out here to Colorado, um, you know, Durango is a beautiful area. Like we're just very purposeful about every day because every, we realize every day that we've been given, it's an absolute gift and we can make the most of it or we can do very little with it. And so I will say going through the disease process has changed even our perspective on that. So it's, mm. it's been a great, <laughs> it's been a great journey. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I don't think that it's an ending journey. I think, you know, as we got out here, you know, we learned a, a ton about the healing process, but you know, even as I get out here, um, I just, I learn even more every day about the healing process. And I, some days I feel like, oh, my healing process is done. The journey is done. And then I realize, uh-uh. no, it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, another day goes by and I feel another burden lifted off of my shoulders just because I learned something new about somebody that could speak something into my life. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it's been, it's been a cool adventure. So. I'm waiting for you to show up here so we can go do some (laughs) hiking, crazy climbing. (laughs) Well, I I will be getting there, definitely. So we'll sign off for now. And I want to thank you, Karen, for your uh, amazing information and your 
um, your time because I know, you know, you, it's four o'clock where you are and it's probably time to do children and it's Friday night. So we will sign off and um, I want to thank everybody for listening and listen to this again and see what Karen did do in order to change and realise that by helping other people, especially in their home, we can change lives. Uh, in happy Changing Habits, everybody, and I'll see you in the next podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Karen is an amazing speaker and she really knows how to put a story together as far as her story and, and what has happened to her. And what I find fascinating is that the doctors that she worked with are so impressed with her recovery from multiple sclerosis. In actual fact, she's been asked to speak at an anesthesia and I can never say that word, anesthesiologist, as we say, I think, in the US. (laughs) Anyway, those ones that put you to sleep. Um, She's been asked to speak at their conference back in Minneapolis. So that's exciting that they want to hear her story and see what's happening. Nutrition is making some amazing inroads as far as um, changing outcomes. And to be told that your diet and your lifestyle has nothing to do with your disease is an outdated concept. It has a lot to do. And it's not just diet that we're looking at. We're looking at uh, our lifestyle, our environment, what disrupts the intelligence of the body. These are the things that we need to look at when we are diagnosed with a disease or we need to look at if we want to prevent it. And prevention is far better than waiting for that horse to bolt and then close the gate. So, I implore you to listen to more of our Up for a Chat podcasts. Go to each of our websites. Um, for me, it's changinghabits.com.au. For Kim Morrison, it's 20, the number 8.com. And for Karen Smith, just go to karensmith.com. And that's C A R R E N Smith. If you'd like to join our Facebook page, we have a Facebook page called Up for a chat. That's where the conversation continues after any of our interviews. You can find us on iTunes as well as we're part of the Wellness Couch. And if you go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat, leave us a five-star rating if that's what you'd like to do as that will push us up through the rankings and get more people listening to the many hundreds of hours that Kim, Karen and I have done together. So until next week, enjoy and remember one change at a time can make all the difference. Check out everything that you're doing in your life and start giving your body what it needs in order to be healthy, both in mind, body and spirit. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.